We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, for the second time all season, only the second time, it's a post-victory aftermath edition of the Roar Podcast. Welcome back in, y'all. I'm John Ellis. Billy Marshall's on the way. We're brought to you by your friends at Prize Picks. PrizePicks.com. Carolina Panthers get the dub. Hey, no pictures on the scorecard, but there were some moments in this game, despite the crowd size, despite the weather, that were just a thing of beauty. Defensively, let's talk about this defense. We don't talk about it enough, but as Gyro Evero's unit playing at a high level in particular against the run game. Some amazing numbers here that'll open up your eyes. And what worked for Carolina defensively against Bijan Robinson? Got some thoughts on that. Offensively, Bryce Young, big time drive at the end, gets the win, but still some things to clean up as always. We'll talk about some of the fundamental issues with Young and some of the steps he's taken in a positive direction as the rookie signal caller of the Panthers, a team that's now 2-12 and and a lot of decisions are ahead for owner David Tepper. Billy and I have not spoken since Joe Person and Diana Rossini collaborated on that explosive article about the Panthers culture. We have some thoughts on it and we look forward to who the next head coach might be for this team. It's Billy Marshall. I'm John Ellis. The Roar Podcast starts right now. Welcome to another episode of The Roar brought to you by Blue Wire. I'm your host, Billy Marshall. Joined as always by my co-host, John Ellis, coming to you after a rare victory by the Carolina Panthers. John, how are you? Hey, Bill, what's up, man? Uh, been a couple weeks, as always, and want to thank everybody out there for their patience. Uh, you're working like nonstop, like a madman, and just, you know, understand that you and I both, our schedules, we talked about this, have been really hard to coordinate. We don't like doing the show solo because it kind of sucks doing it that way. We'd rather wait a week and do it together. Uh, I'm past the flu, by the way, and it was a nice little post flu gift to see. Although it wasn't a barn burner of a game in pouring rain in front of about 50 people, so what? Nine to seven's the final. Great job by the defense, and good job by Bryce Young getting a little game-winning drive going there. I mean, it's uh, it's early, but again, some good signs you're seeing from Young there in some moments late in the game. Can't wait to talk about it with you. Yeah, and uh, just for everyone else's reference on why you know, I've been a little inactive on social media, I just... You know, kind of been burdened with uh, work and some personal life obligations that yeah. 
have uh, forced me to spend less time on social media, but that has not you, stopped me from. You picked you picked a good year to to take a year off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how things kind of, um, you know, kind of progress throughout uh, the rest of the year, and uh, if I'll be coming back. But I, I don't know. Don't expect anything like you, you like my previous iteration where I was on there every day. But um, but yeah, I just I needed kind of just to step away just to focus on work and uh my personal life so yep. uh, that's uh kind of what i've been doing but um yeah speaking to your point john uh since our last meeting there's been just a you know with this franchise just uh news never stops uh, there was the fantastic reporting by our guy joe person with the athletic uh yep. he partnered with diana russini um to kind of uh break down uh the failed head coaching regime of Frank Reich. Um, you had the wife of the offensive coordinator getting into battles with Twitter, I believe mm. is what I saw. Yeah. Um, but, you know, through it all, um, and I, I told you this uh, yesterday, I was actually pretty confident that they would uh, win on Sunday for right, right. a couple reasons. Uh, the first reason is I, I just think like the Falcons were pretty hammered uh, injury-wise. Uh, no Chris Lindstrom, no Caleb McGarry. Um, so, you know, they want to obviously run the ball. And uh, in those conditions, I think it's paramount to run the ball, but uh, they had no success doing it. And they kind of... Uh, had to rely on the arm of Desmond Ritter. And as Ritter has shown, he is turn very turnover prone and he kind of just gave the way the game oh, to man. Carolina. Wow. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, it, it was a, certainly a encouraging performance. I mean, this defense has been, you know, just uh, they've been putting some in some rough spots all year, uh, just given the ineptitude offensively um, and special teams even a couple weeks ago with the saints blocking a punt and scoring um so yeah john i think this was a you know the defense uh certainly deserved it the offense complemented it pretty well you know the conditions were pretty uh bleak to say it kindly i think yeah. there's probably more atlanta fans in the stands um but I don't, yeah. I don't even know i don't even know about that it was just so bizarre I wasn't yeah. at that game, but like just the, the pregame shot, I, I think there were probably maybe you're right about the Falcons thing, but yeah, go ahead, Billy. It was it was the strangest, it was the least uh robust crowd I've ever seen. And that's saying a lot. Pandemic aside, that was just uh yeah, wow. Yeah, I mean, certainly like I said, the conditions did not help um the you know, the turnout in, in oh, any sure, respect. Yeah. It was a terrible um, weather your team's um, just your team's sucking all year and you can't score points and it's you know four days of rain and wrapped into four hours nobody's going to that i don't i don't you know i don't blame fans no and it, just going back you know several years ago that playoff game against the cardinals it wasn't exactly like a packed house that game in the, the rain i think had a lot to do with that you go back to um, you know, a year before that, the playoff clinching game against the Saints. I mean, it was definitely a raucous oh, crowd. Yeah, listen, that that fucking game. That I was talking to my dad son about that. That game, my brother and I went to, sat in the upper deck. We were sick for a whole week afterwards because it was a monsoon for about two and a half hours in between. You know, the the beginning and end of the game, where you ended up having you know the great drive at the end by you know Ted Ginn and then Dominic Hickson, but. The Luke Keekley and Thomas Davis interceptions in the driving rain, not a fan had left their seat. And that's kind of, you know, the whole sort of uh, postscript I think of in terms of the weather is 
you want to get back to those moments. And obviously, you know, it's not everything, but seeing the way they responded to what could have been just fold up the tent, let Atlanta run all over you, let Bryce just turn the ball over again and again. Nobody's going to make plays for him. Uh, good for them to get a win against a, a pretty solid team. That's that's impressive. Now get some butts back in the seats maybe next year when the team hopefully by then has a better plan. Yeah, for sure. And just to kind of round off my entire point here, um, yeah, I mean, definitely a good win. I thought the tone was set immediately on that first drive. It was, you know, Atlanta had third and short and then fourth and short. Then uh, Louvu really kind of, um, you know, stepped up in both of those instances, making uh, two nice run stops. And uh, Derek Brown continues to, you know, have an, a fantastic season. And credit to him for, you know, just showing, you know, his abilities. But yeah, I mean, the number one responsibility for this week was to just really, uh, physically just wear Atlanta out. And I thought they did that. I think it was a really good performance, uh, all three phases, because, I mean, you needed those three Pinero kicks and driving rain. I don't care how short they were to <laughs> score your points. Yeah, you did. And it was eerily similar. We'll cover the whole game, but obviously the end of it, the, the time management. Look, you, you'd like to have an offense that uh, with eight minutes left can strike fast. And that's kind of where the elite teams in this league go, you know, you see like the Bengals with Jake Browning and T Higgins doing things like that. Carolina, I think will get there, whether it's with Bryce young or not long-term, but a hey, hey, good credit to Chris Tabor. Obviously, let me just start by that. This is not an easy place to be an interim head coach in this league. We gave the same props to Steve Wilkes last year to come into that environment where it's going to be just a dead zone with fans where your players could be checking out right now. And to have this defense, going against a as physical a run game and, and the misdirection they do to sort of get the passing game at least effectively going. Kudos to the entire operation. As you are everyone in particular, even Thomas Brown on the play calling side, you know, I, I've got some issues there, but I will say that last drive was well done. And I think when you can bleed seven and a half minutes off, get no penalties in the process, avoid the minus plays, and then get to a situation where you're third and two, third and three, and you're able to get guys like Gabe Jackson. And and then you, you run a little duo there with Cade Mays, my guy who I haven't given up on yet, and Bozeman. Get them playing to their strengths and get that ball down to the two-minute morning with no timeouts, and you know the rest. And uh, hats off to Pinheiro. I feel good for that kid because he, he took a beating last year. Oh, I, granted, these are all 2003 extra points he's making. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Billy, I, I, I'm with you about Luvu and the defense. Let's start there because, man, uh, I looked up some numbers after the game about Arthur Smith's, uh, you know, success rate is a run first team and a run good team. That was a very uncharacteristic bad running day. Now maybe David Tepper's carpet was a little extra slippery. I don't know, but I saw some great defense and I saw some things in coverage they did against Bijan that really made me happy. Yeah. I'm curious to hear what you, uh, what you saw there, but um, yeah, I mean, overall, I just think like it, it was a little, I mean, we saw this in week one too, where, you know, Brian Burns had a really, uh, you know, excellent game where he, he was playing really physical. And I think you have to do that against a team that clearly wants to run the ball. You know, they did kind of, um, you know, lose sight of Johnny Smith on that really long play right before yeah. the end of the half. It was a, you know, well-designed uh, play action little leak concept that they had at that Mark Schler did a good job of breaking it down. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, besides that, I mean, you know, Drake London, only had like one or two catches like it, it he you was kind of, yep. 
uh, he was non-existent. And um, it's, it's at three, but I mean, he had 37 yards, he had a long of 24. The rest of it was just dink and dunk. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm by just, the way, uh, just real quick, Bichon had one catch, three yards. I'm going to talk about that later. That was exceptional. No, I, I'm actually curious. We'll get into that right now. Like, what did you see from this defense that really limited his production in uh, the passing game? The, the first glance I saw was I saw two guys on Bijan coming out of the backfield. So I'd see them occasionally it would be a Burns or maybe uh, I think at one point Luvu was in the mix on the edge and they were running the flat out there with Bijan. And it was almost like they're bracketing him. It's like a Marshall Falk plan because they know what they've got downfield. They know that Ritter is going to want to rely, you would think, in this type of environment. So early they were getting a little chip on them here and there, and they had two guys in the vicinity. Now, I don't know what coverage concept you would call that, a bracket or a double team, but they had two guys paying attention in short area space with Bijan, and it was almost to the point where they kind of gave up on it because Robinson only had three targets all game. But those early targets, Billy, and I hadn't had the all 22 defense yet. I'm looking at the offense now. Um, maybe my naked eye is, is not right there, but I'm pretty sure I saw early on. And it's not unusual to see a guy like Robinson, who's very good out of the backfield, just take that out of the game right now and then make Ritter go do other things. Um, that's my thought on that. Uh, overall, I just think, you know, you, you, it, when you, you, you can't generate the sacks that they need to, and they're not doing a good job this year at that. They're not generating enough sacks. They're also not generating enough turnovers. The ones they're getting are, are kind of gimmies in this game. No disrespect, but for a defense, it's not getting a lot of takeaways near the bottom of the league and doesn't get a lot of sacks to be ranked still top five in yardage. I, I got to give a lot of credit to the veterans on that team. I got to give a lot of credit to the coverage schemes for not giving up a lot of explosives. And Ajaro Evero, look, that dude's legit now. That that staff talk all, all about this offensive stuff that we did in terms of no continuity, diversity of thought. Evero's got his guys with him. Capers is there with him. You got Burt Watts, the, a lot of guys, Hanson. They are all working as one, and they're taking a lot of guys that honestly are playing a little bit out of their comfort zone positional-wise. And they're playing at a high level. And Derek Brownville, I, you know, look, this guy, I don't want to overstate it, but just shows up every day and plays at a high level. He's a tremendous player. Yeah, I'm curious now um, on your beliefs now that uh, with J.C. Horn back in the lineup, uh, you know, what have you seen from this secondary that's kind of allowed them to play at a pretty, you know, respectable level with him back uh von bell's obviously he's back woods made the pretty i mean i wouldn't even say it was a great play he just such so he got it handed on silver platter with the interception <laughs> right right um but yeah just curious on your on the secondary not that you know most of the guys are back healthy yeah well i i thought it was bell too it was actually xavier woods that had the silver platter pick but uh, uh it, xavier i think has had an exceptional year i, I i'm trying to be very cautious, but he's played limited snaps. But if you look at the way PFF grades him out, and then you look at the tape, there's some alignment there in terms of not giving up the explosives. He has actual pass defense back there as a safety. He's been breaking up passes. Remember the uh, New Orleans game? He had that Colts hit where he knocked the living snot out of a guy, and it shouldn't have been a flag. He's been really good in terms of not only run support, but in terms of coverage. And I think they made the right move keeping Chin out of that role. Now, Chin, what happens there? I don't know. But, but Xavier has been a very pleasant surprise. Now, coverage-wise, I think we understand what, you know, as you call them, the Fangio bros. That's kind of what these guys try to do is limit the explosives. And you know, I know Mike Evans got him one with uh, 
that 75 yarder that that happened against a hobbled Troy Hill. And that's unfortunate, but for the most part, yeah, I mean, that's execution on the players. He just caught the ball. And I mean, if you make a tackle, it's yeah. Great play. Yeah. And and credit to Baker too. But I I think it's, it's nice to see a defense that plays um, with some consistency and discipline back there. Dante Jackson, I think has come a long way. And I think this structure and the coaching he's gotten, and maybe the scheme itself has helped him a little bit in terms of playing some of these quarters concepts and his run support has been tremendous. So I think coverage wise, you know, are you seeing a lot of guys in tight man coverage running down the field there? You'll see it from time to time horn. I think they're working it back in the mix. He's had some good moments. He had a lot of tackles in this game. He was in, I think on six Billy. So he's, you know, good force defense there setting the edge. That was crucial in this game. Evero talked about that, you know, earlier in the press conference a couple of weeks ago with us, the fact that we don't talk enough about the, the force defense for these guys being able to set the edge at corner and be able to get down there and take the right angle, use the sideline as your friend or funnel it back in. They're doing a tremendous job of that of late. The run game has not been killing them as much as it had. I know the Tampa game Rashad white had a 40 yarder late. Other than that, they had nothing. And the same thing could go for this game. Atlanta loves to stretch. It. They, they love to get you horizontal and there was nothing all day. And the corners deserve a lot of credit for that. So in a game that passing uh, was probably set back about a hundred years from at least the guy over there on the other side. And Bryce had a bad day for a long time on Sunday. Don't get me wrong. He ended it. Well, got to give a lot of hat tip to these guys on the defensive side, the entire secondary coaching group could have D'Angelo Hall in that group. Uh, everyone knows what he's doing with this entire defense. Uh, I don't really have a good feel on what Horn is in this defense yet. I know like, with Phil Snow, he was playing that star position, playing in the slot a lot. Wilkes did that with him. Um, but it's good to see him on the field getting snaps, Bill. I mean, that's that's what you want from him. You want him to be the guy that can be your Patrick Sutan or your, your Sauce Gardner for the next 10 years or your Stingley. And as long as he can stay healthy, good for him. I think Troy Hill had another solid day as well. Uh, so, yeah, I think they've got the right mix of guys. And I, I think in hindsight, what they've done with Jeremy Chin, although they're not getting much value out of him, I think it was a good idea to go ahead and, uh, you know, give that Xavier Woods and Von Bell combo a chance to to do their thing back there on the back end. So secondary looks great. Yep. CJ Henderson had to come in a little bit because I think uh, Dante got banged up. But again, Jackson, I'm not here to talk about contract or if it's a good idea, bad idea to keep thinking about him as a long-term guy or maybe trade him. I'm just happy for him that he seems to be playing better football. It's like uh, some little breaking news here. It looks like the Panthers have released Justin Houston. Um, oh, okay. Well, so it looks like a Schefter saying that he wants to play for a contender, only a uh, contender. That makes sense. Um, yeah. that, uh, I've heard some rumblings that that guys like that down the pipeline and a team like this, you've seen this, Billy. Um, yeah, it's pretty common. Scott's got a lot of respect for Justin, and obviously Frank knew Justin coming in. Frank's no longer here, but yeah, good luck to Justin. Man. He's a good dude, good pass rusher. Just never, never got the motor going here. Yeah. Um, so offensively, this is a game, John, where you had to come in here and you had to run the ball. Like there is absolutely zero excuses for you not to do that in a game where the field conditions were just absolutely abhorrent. Well, I wouldn't even say the field conditions itself. I mean, it's turf, so it is what it is. But it, I mean, the weather, it was pretty... it, it was the big first big rain game for David Tepper's carpet. So that was interesting. <laughs> right. Um, 
but um but yeah no it, it was uh just the weather this type of these type of conditions and it was windy too that's another thing yes, that people forget absolutely i think rain is one thing but wind is another complicating factor and so quarterbacks hate that shit the wind the rain they love they can trip it the wind oh no thank you um but uh yeah you saw just you know really rough conditions but uh i, I mean look th- this is an offensive line that is built on running the football and so you know, um, I'm glad the game was like kind of within one score, even though the Falcons, you know, scored early to go up seven, nothing. And the reason I say that is you could still play uh, within your script, which is to establish a run in these type of environments, because if it became a drop back game, I just did, did not see this team lasting any chance. So, you know, credit definitely goes to the special teams for uh, doing a pretty good job of flipping the field. Uh, yep. um, you, you know, he had a couple nice punts there, but, uh, uh, but in addition to that, I, I think it's important to mention the defense, just you know, keeping it within one score, um, which allowed the offense to really establish run. I and mean, we saw, you know, Hubbard, you had to continue to have a really good game. And uh, that's what this offense needs to lean on. And, and I think what encouraged me more importantly was just going under center. And yes. I, I think that's very important in the modern NFL. It's like, huge. I just, whoever the next coaches or offensive coordinator or quarterback, whatever, um, you have to be under center. And I, I just, I don't care you know, you know, if the quarterback is more comfortable in the shotgun, but it just gives your offense, um, it, it eliminates a lot of the predictability in my opinion. And the offensive line can, uh, really, uh, it it allows them to get into their run blocks much quicker in those situations. So yeah, effective, uh, day running the ball. I mean, again, I don't think anyone would confuse, uh, this offense with a very good passing unit right now, but I, I don't think it will, f- the conditions helped either. No, they, they all knew coming into this thing that uh, obviously there was never going to be, uh, you know, a 300 yard passer in this game. I mean, obviously you go get the guys like uh, Josh Allen and, and you think with Prescott in that game, the other night Buffalo, it's going to be a shootout and you see the Buffalo wind kick in and all the effects that of that entails. And these guys pass for like a combined 200 yards. So it does happen in the NFL, but certainly not Bryce young, Bryce young has been, uh, you know, in a situation where at Alabama, obviously the drops, I think were deeper. The flow was better. Uh, guys were getting more open. Although that last year at Alabama, we talked about it, it was tighter windows, not quite this tight. Uh, it just made better sense for him. And he threw 300, 400 yard games. He knows how to do it at a high level, but this offense has been so cautious with him. And I, I give Frank Reich a lot of credit for um, trying to install something that worked for him, but there were too many cooks in the kitchen. And I'm glad Thomas Brown now is here working what his specialty is, which number one is under center running game, some motion. You've seen some cool things from Amir Smith-Marset in the offense. Yeah, that was, that was also a nice wrinkle. They added a absolutely. lot of those um, That's That's like reverses. 20, 25 crucial yards they picked up in the game because you've got a guy who has traits and you use those traits, and that's a good thing to do because there's not a lot of speed on that offense. Um, I think under center is a great point because, you know, first of all, you, you give – the quarterback an opportunity to have options. You give him some answers. You're not just sitting back there. Uh, I'm I'm not happy with the pistol formation, and here's why. Yeah, um, that's crazy. It's it, it, particularly with Sanders, who has a real problem with vision. I think, 
And I think that's coming to light now due to the fact that, you know, I've studied this tape a little bit this year. I look back at the Philly tape and I've got Philly people that cover the team telling me, you know, I told you when you signed miles, he's going to be the worst vision back you've ever seen. I said, well, I don't know about that, but there are some issues with his game that open your eyes up and make you realize, okay, look, the Philly line probably did a little more for him than he did for them. No disrespect. He's got some explosion, but when they put him in pistol, Billy, after a big play and they start running that wide zone, it, it's, they know what's coming. It's going to be a five-yard loss. It's terrible. So when they get out of that mode and they just get downhill with Hubbard, um, or even with, you know, a, a guy like miles occasionally, it seems like miles hits the hole and, and there's nothing going on. Hubbard gets skinny. Hubbard has the ability to break a few tackles. And is he Jonathan Stewart? No, Boy, Lord knows we wish we had something like that right now. But, I mean, they should have kept Foreman. I mean, he was perfect. I, absolutely. Absolutely. They should have <laughs> kept Foreman, but you know, whatever. Um, I, I think, no and I think a lot Miles, of the Miles Sanders has not done much of anything positive for this team. And it's frustrating and he doesn't need to be carrying the ball anymore much. I, I just, he, the ball goes backwards when his hands are on it. And I, yeah. I think the, the one last thing I'll say about under center is I, there's, there's a certain look and feel to Bryce's drops out of shotgun right now that, and again, I don't want to be David Tepper here, allegedly reportedly from Ursini in person about having the footwork conversations with Frank Reich, which is absurd. Oh, we'll get to that in a sec. Absurd if that's happening. And, uh, you know, do you think Belichick or Harbaugh is going to put up with that shit? No. So <laughs> anyway, that might not happen either. But I'll say this. There's a real oddity about the way they run uh, and Bryce runs out of gun. I do think there is a depth issue. I do think there are times where he's poised and calm in the pocket. I don't think the footwork is unusually bad for a rookie, given the fact that um, there was one Hank concept they ran in this game, Billy, where like somebody just tackled Thielen. <laughs> he just went down like a sack of potatoes. There's like four yards stick hmm. and just try to hit somebody who's covered. It's depressing. And that point you have to cut the field in half because Bryce is going to start bouncing out because he has to. When I watched the all 22 today, the times that Bryce is bouncing out, I'd say about 80% of them are legitimate trying to do scramble drill because nobody is set through the progressions to be thrown to. And then there's no scramble drill ever. Nobody's scrambling back to Bryce. So yeah, getting under I mean, center, goes... you can you can get those movement call going a little bit with the, the, the movements in the passing game. You can run some wide zone stuff. It's, it's a good look. I like it. Um, couple things. I I'm starting to think like the Philadelphia situation or the Miles Sanders situation. And this just goes to a theory I had that, you know, running backs playing in that system, like, yeah, you'll be productive, but I don't think it makes you a better running back just because of the offensive yeah, line, the totally quarterback. Agree. Totally agree. I just think, like, you're kind of – you're not necessarily – you need to be decisive as a running back. And in that system with those offensive linemen and that quarterback, I just think you, you're giving – you're not really needing to be decisive. It, it, it was Billy. When the move happened, it's what I said on the show, that if you look at his track record, what is he – bringing to the table for that contract, a four-year contract. Is he an elite pass catcher? No, he's not. He's good. He's decent. He's had experience, but not of late. Is he an explosive runner? Not overly. Does he have great vision? No, he doesn't. Is he a power back? Absolutely not. So what is he providing a rookie quarterback back there at that salary and at that cap number and, and all that? No, 
look, I, I just thought there were better options there. It's the softest short yardage team I've ever seen in team history without a, without yeah. a question. There is no chance on a fourth and one that you can just sit there as a analyst or fan and feel anything but terror about what's about to happen. Occasionally they get it done. Third and twos, third and threes down the stretch with Chuba. I want to talk about some blocking later. Some guys stepped their shit up and got it done there. But fourth and ones, and there's a lot of them with this team because every third and eight feels like an Adam Thielen falling down seven yards short or one yard short. There's so many fourth and ones with this team because they don't have explosion to convert an extra three yards off a five-yard slant. And so you get a situation where now you're in fourth and one. We tried sneaking Dalton out there for a while. Bryce is obviously not comfortable or built to sneak the ball. Um, and they have no power in their run game to just assert. So that's a problem to me. But no, I think uh, I, I, I look back at that signing. That's one that, you know, I know Deuce and Frank liked him, I think. But as the GM of the team, Scott's going to own that one. I mean, that's, that's a total waste of a signing. Hey, thanks for listening to the Roar Podcast. It's your friend John Ellis here for Prize Picks. It's the most fun you'll have winning up to 25 times your money this football season. Testing your skills on Prize Picks this football season is the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. If you got the skills, you can turn 10 bucks into $250 with just a few taps. Really simple to play, folks. I make my picks, submit them in less than 60 seconds. You could do it faster, I'm sure. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, enormous selection of players and stat types are what make Price Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. It's at your fingertips. Go to the App Store and download Price Picks today. You can also go to pricepicks.com slash roar and use our promo code roar for a first deposit match up to $100. Daily fantasy sports made easy with our friends at Price Picks. I actually, I liked him at Penn State. Uh, that's the funniest part about this. Is like I don't hate Miles Sanders. Yeah, I don't, no, 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 no. I, you're no, right. Yeah, the value, no, for sure. the, value just, is, the, the value depreciates immensely when you leave Philadelphia as a back. Gainwell and guys like that get it done now. I mean, you can find guys to get. Look at Chuba Hubbard. Again, just don't spend that money. You don't need to. No, I 100% agree, and we'll get to that point in a second here. But, but I'll just say this. Again, I just think you have to be very careful about signing players from Philadelphia and expecting them to transition as easily as they have in that system to another one. It's just yep. a future reference for whoever is in charge of player personnel in the future. Um, but uh, but to your point, let's let quickly close out here offensively. I mean, I mean, definitely that final drive you saw two big time catches uh, by the receivers helping the quarterback out, you know, Mingo has, you know, certainly had some of, um, you know, frustrating moments. He made a nice catch on that underthrown ball. Um, great catch, and, yeah. and then, you know, Chark did a great job of getting, showing his body control and getting his oh feet goodness. in bounds. That was awesome. Um, so yeah, credit to them. I mean, they definitely, you know, have had their share of uh, criticism this year, but you know, they came up very clutch in that situation. Yeah, Bill, the, the most impressive throw to me was the, the first one he made. He's backed up in his own end zone. In, in, the Trumbull? Yes, and let me tell you why. So, number one, the, the Mingo throw was the only one on the drive that I thought was a little bit off the mark. Um, now, look, the Chark was a great catch, but Bryce put it where it had to go. I thought it was a nice throw. Uh, this is also a psychological hurdle, too, for a guy like Bryce, who, remember, week one, backed up against Jesse Bates in Atlanta. Same situation, but earlier in the game. That's a tough place for a rookie to be. And you're thinking to yourself, you know what? This is not going to end well. It can't end well. Bryce isn't ready for this. 
he didn't bail from a pocket. The pocket was actually very good for once. And he stood tall and he made one of those Alabama throws to the, the, the flag route there about 18 yards out the field. I'm looking at it again right now. And I want to give guys like Taylor Moten, who played one of his best games all year. Uh, Bozeman was great in this game in pass protection late in the game. And that's what you got to give Bryce. Bryce is never going to be, uh, you know, a 90 mile an hour fastball type of guy. He's never going to be, you know, throwing the ball over the mountains like Josh Allen. He doesn't need to be. Burroughs had a very good career doing what you just saw Bryce do on these throws. Patience, setting his feet, getting it done. He stood in that pocket and in his own end zone, didn't flinch, made the right throw. I don't want to over-glamorize it, but that is a drive starter. If that doesn't happen, if it's the same old shit, then it's all of a sudden third and 10 from your own five, and then you probably go backwards. Credit to the line, because th that's big. But that, to me, was that was Bryce's, you know, per perhaps moment where he can look back and say, okay, there's some confidence building from this because I'm backed up to my own end zone against a really highly ranked defense that plays well and has a lot of dangerous guys back there. And I stood tall and I made a throw to, you know, Tommy Trimble, who's not Travis Kelsey. So again, no disrespect. I like Trimble, but again, they don't have any separation and he's threading that needle. That was to me a big moment throw for Bryce because it got everything going. Yep. Um, I totally agree. Uh, definitely. It, again, it reminded me a lot of the uh, final drive he had against the uh, Texans uh, for uh, coincidentally enough, pretty similar game as far as I like just... this one a little better. I thought, I thought, oh, yeah, his, I agree. His throws were more high level, but I agree in terms of just the pacing of it. It was very similar. All right. Uh, looking into some of the reporting that we missed uh, during you know, our little time off here. Oh, um, yes. <laughs> Thanks, yeah, I Joe. think the, the yeah the big expose article written by Joe Person uh, touches wow. on um, all the issues that you know I I mentioned. It, it it starts with the owner, unfortunately, and you can't fire an owner, uh, which nope. I mean, unless he has like a bunch of um, yeah, you just can't fire know, an owner. I know Red, <laughs> Reddit and the Carolina Huddle have looked into it, but unfortunately, folks, it can't happen. <laughs> exactly. So. What what this tells me is that the organization, and I've been saying it, I said on our last episode, and I'll say it again, the organization needs a reset. It needs a complete reset. And, um, you know, there's been some other reporting, I think, over the weekend, Jonathan Jones, uh, you know, certainly close to the situation here. Uh, you know, mentioned that David Tepper was talking to some of the can or some GM candidates at the, um, at some form and at the league meeting. And he was also talking to Ben Johnson's agent. Uh, but first and foremost, I think for wow. this owner to kind of get this organization back on track is look, you and I we're big fans of Ben Johnson's offense and what he's sure. been able to do. Um, there's certainly going to be other job opportunities that open up for him. I think you have to make this opportunity as attractive as you can. And how do you make it attractive? Well, you certainly you need to give him an opportunity to work with a general manager he wants to work with. I I think that article by person just it did not it did not paint Scott Fitter in a very good light, especially if all of a sudden he is suggesting quarterback footwork mechanics. Oh man. Yeah. And I mean, we just mentioned the failed Miles Sanders signing. There's obviously a whole 
other list of personnel moves that we can criticize. But I just think like people need organization and the first thing that needs to happen. I don't want to go through every single detail in that story because we can, we could spend two hours on it. But my overall takeaway is that Tepper needs to just clean house and start over, hire a head coach, GM, new guys coming in together in unison and just step back. I mean, that's the best thing he can do. I don't need him and his wife, you know, watching offensive line, you know, Oklahoma drills and, and doing practice. Blocks. Yeah. Like Paul Alexander out there. If we, <laughs> I don't need them like Get off breaking the down a quarterback's footwork. <laughs> I don't need them adjusting RPOs. Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's that's I'm about so that's funny. the only thing I can. That's my only oh takeaway from that story is. I'm so glad we're talking again, Billy, because I kept thinking about you when I read that article, and I was just thinking, yeah, look, Joe, Joe, person we know well, and and look, you and I know Joe well enough to know that his reporting never he had the clusterfuck. Article. I believe it, by the way. Oh, of course I do too. He had the clusterfuck article about Matt Rule's culture, and Matt Rule kind of did called him out about anonymous sources, and yeah, that Matt's being Matt. That's fine. Congrats, Matt. Matt got him a quarterback finally, apparently, Rayola. So congrats to him. But I was going to say this about uh, Joe and Diana both. That That's a power team right there. I mean, Diana comes from, you know, the world of ESPN, and her sourcing is about as good as it gets. And so that was a hell of a collab. And it was a well-written article. It was long. It was detailed. But it wasn't rife with any fluff. There was nothing in there that didn't need to be in there. One thing When it's I did, that specific, it's usually true very specific. And there were people that were on the record in the article too, talking Dalton had made some, and I think he was on the record in the sense that earlier in the season comments were made publicly by Andy Dalton about, you know, frustration level of a rookie or the footwork needs to get cleaner. Not surprising. And look, Bryce's footwork has been up and down. Uh, That's true. Yeah. Um, He's also got 300 pound fat guy sitting in his lap in two seconds. So think about that. Um, I I was not surprised by a lot of what I read because, look, we were all, I think, re- relatively optimistic that this hire and the subsequent hires after for the staff were going to lead to better results than what we saw with Matt Rule. But I think that's one bar to look at. The other thing to look at, and this is where I give our buddy Mike Kay a little credit, because Mike was talking to me at training camp. Mike's covered the Philadelphia Eagles. He knows Frank Reich pretty well and he knows the philly operation pretty well and he just kind of didn't get the sense and early on i think that this was going to be as easy of a um a marriage with all these melding of the minds as we might think and with the, the concern about bryce being that he is so process and uh data driven in terms of film study and being precise with his uh, ability to just play at a high level to use his football intelligence to overcome some of the things deficiently he has in terms of size and structure that it's almost taking this kid who knows how to do it where O'Brien and Saban from people I've talked to gave him a lot more freedom to operate um, during the week and throughout the week and make suggestions. It felt like to me between Parks Frazier and Josh McCown and Deuce Staley. And make no mistake, one thing I heard about Deuce Staley is there was not a lot of good things going on with his role in terms of how he was um, managing the running back rotation. That's a part of a running back coach's job. 
is being on top of that. Now, I don't think Deuce Staley was remotely part of the problem. I don't even think Frank Reich was central to the problem. It's a David Tepper issue. And David yeah. Tepper is 30 and 65 as an NFL owner. But most recently, he dumped all of his resources into putting together this all-star staff that was going to be the – you remember the Ian Rappaport talking points? This is the best possible situation for a young guy like Bryce Young. And when the Jets came to town, that's when I started having some doubts because honestly, everybody was on their ass on every snap. Now, the Jets are a great defense. They have a great pass rush. But then nothing changed. And the, the offense looked vanilla in the preseason. And then it they they bust out the pistol week one. Woo-hoo. And okay, it's still very challenged because, hey, give JTO Sullivan a little credit. He was in on this early about the apps and Norris too. I didn't see it at first during OTAs in camp, but boy, the Lions preseason game, I was in this press box. I started just tracking, you know, separation. And I was telling myself, man, these are the route concepts we're running, and these are the receivers Bryce has to throw to. You're going to see a lot of the David Carr 2006 bailing out of the pocket and trying to do scramble drills, and it's going to be highly ineffective. And whereas you've got Stroud and others that are just sitting in pockets with concepts developing in front of them with open receivers. So that article, to me, the biggest takeaway is the fact that, number one, David Tepper, these Monday meetings, that shit's got to stop. Okay? I don't understand that, yeah. It's got to stop. Frank, I don't know this for a fact, but I could get the sense covering him face-to-face that, yeah, and he even alluded to these were tough meetings. Frank would just was overwhelmed by how much pressure Tepper was putting on him this fast. Like we give Matt rule three years, almost I get it. One in six, one in seven sucks. The offense was terrible. Maybe give this thing some time to marinate. Maybe it was never going to work, but David Tepper ultimately makes the call after the you know, Tennessee game where he's yelling fuck outside the locker room reportedly. And <laughs> Uh, okay, great. So now what? Oh, man. Now, now what? What's the next move? So Ben Johnson, I, I, look, I'm not certain that he wants to be here. The, 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 people need to stop drawing the North Carolina connection. Yeah, you know, that needs to stop. Stop it. He, that's, guys are born all over this country, and they coach anywhere else. Justin Herbert's sitting right there with no coach right now. Just saying. I think Ben would look at that first. Although the Spanos are notoriously cheap with their coaches. Um that's maybe where Tepper has an advantage, but okay, still, if you're Ben Johnson and you can coach Justin Herbert and be part of you know that great culture down there that they're trying to build, at least a quarterback that can play the game at a high level, and you've got some pieces down there to work with, it's a great stadium. You can get the fans going again. And, and let's say the contract offer is like a million less or two million less, so I can take it. Because Carolina right now, it ain't just about the article. It's been pretty well documented for five, six years that – there's a lack of competency all the way from the top into the front office and and furthermore down to the coaches that they've hired to produce results. And this needs to stop being about finding a, somebody who can fix the quarterback. Please stop. Yeah, 100% that agree. You and I talked about that last time. Just stop it. Look, D'Amico Ryan's once again, let me remind you that he was the guy that drafted CJ Stroud with Nick Casario. He's the guy that was the quarterback whisperer. I mean, know it's slow in a lot of ways, but, you get my point. 
And by the way, he just won a game on the road with Case fucking Keatum. So fire coaches that can't do the job, hire coaches that A, can know how to do the job right, and B, know a little bit about each other before, I don't know, you get them together in a room in April. So I should have been been more cognizant of that. I was thinking seven, eight wins. My God, nobody saw this. Nobody saw one or two wins in December. But this is is what it could look like. I I just think Depper's going to, like you said, go be a billionaire. Enjoy being rich. Sit back. Please stop being so involved. I know owners go to the war rooms. That's fine. I know owners typically will, from time to time, go to pro days. Um, Maybe just remove yourself from that and try it for once. Because no, I totally the, agree. Common denominator continues to be him. Um, yep. I the, the next coach. It's going to be fascinating, Bill. But he, if they hire a strong personality, you know how fast that ended with Harbaugh and, and Trent Balky and York. And who who made the point the other day about uh, it was it Albert Breer that said, "Hey, York finally had to say, I'm I'm done. I'm going to give it over to Lynch and Shanahan. And I'm out of the way." Tepper's got to reach that yeah. point. You, well, the, minute, the minute that happens, they've got a fighting chance. Until it happens, it's going to be complete meddling. It's going to be impulsive decisions, and it's going to be him pushing down and leaning down too hard on his GM and their guys and the coach. The owner should not be meeting with the coach every Monday. Not that owner. No. No, I totally agree with uh, everything you said. Um, unfortunately, uh, this owner has not proven he is capable or even – um, worthy of being, you know, listened to in any respect. He's proven to be um, very uh, unintelligent and just egotistical when it comes to his decision making um, as an owner. And it's, look, it's embarrassing. And I'll, I'll, I'm yeah. not afraid to say it, Billy. It's embarrassing. You are what your record is in this league. They're all billionaires at owners' meetings. It's embarrassing. And I don't even yeah. care about him or the owners or Nicole. I, I've met Dave one or two times, and it was very cordial. I don't really want to spend a lot of time with the owners in this league. I don't give a crap. Nicole Tepper is a nice person, too, and she's very skilled at what she does in terms of the community outreach and all the executive work she does with the team. That's their role. My concern here is, who is helping David Tepper find the next coach? Is Scott a, a lame duck right now? Or is Scott going to be like the the Herney 2.0, member from 2000, where, oh, I got to have somebody yeah. here to help me find a coach. Let's keep Scott. Scott can help me do that. That, to me, if that's your incentive to keep Scott, which, again, I don't discredit everything he's done. I think you're going to clean house. Go get you a Kevin Colbert to be your Ernie Accorsi. Pay him whatever he wants and get somebody with some experience in this league to help you lead a search committee or hire a fucking firm. Do not show up in Waco in a driveway with meatballs. Yeah. I mean, that's just kind of my fear right now is just, he's, you know, isolating everything to one guy. He's like meeting with the agent of Ben Johnson. And only, again, I like Ben Johnson a lot. I just want this owner to realize like there are other coaching candidates out there. Like stop making the same mistakes you've already made. They better, and, they better interview well because Shane Steichen did, and then look what he's doing now. Oh, gosh. Anyway, um, I mean, that's pretty much um, you know going to wrap up our show tonight on, on 
Uh, as soon as some more updates come with regard to this uh, team and you know kind of the direction they'll take, uh, we'll be sure to update it. But I definitely wanted to hear from you, John, on um, you know that reporting that was done yeah. because it seems very pertinent to you know the situation right now. And uh, until we get more clarity on the uh, future of this organization, uh, you know we don't want to speculate any more than what we already have. So. Uh, Jim, any final Jim, parting Jim, words? Jim Harbaugh. That's all I got to say. Jim Harbaugh. Yeah. Look, I would like Harbaugh too. I just, I don't, I don't know. I just, I well, honestly, just, let me give you a final thought. You know, I, I think this becomes much less strategic for Tepper because I don't think he has the patience to be strategic thinking when it comes to building the new staff. I think he wants to find a, an absolute behemoth of a personality to throw the most money of anybody out there that could and say, Hey, Bill Belichick, come down here and, and break Shula's record here. That'd be pretty cool. Yep. Or Hey, Jim Harbaugh, you won your national title. Hey, I'll give you $30 million. <laughs> it's something absurd. I don't, it's to me, like a to... Ben Johnson. Look, I, I like the guy, but I'm like you, there's like seven other guys out there that you should be looking at that, uh, just interview them. I'm not asking you to just, you're, uh, you're relying on just who's one doing interview. The, who's doing the interviews. It. Who's doing the interviews? That's my concern, man. Yep. I, I like anyway, Scott. Um, if they're going to keep Scott, they need to commit to him. Scott, I don't I, think right I, now I, has I, a true I, sense of what, what's happening. So they got to get some shit cleaned up. But uh, yeah, yeah so I don't, I don't think Scott, I don't, I don't think the GM deserves to stay in any capacity with all due respect. Well, I, I, I think he's got to be, you know, on the hot seat. And I think if he's right there where Herney was, helping to hire the new head coach after his track record being a, a team that continues to lose games. That's, that's just not the, the way forward. I don't think. Nope. All right. Um, that's going to wrap it up for our show today, everyone. Uh, thank you again. Uh, we'll be back as soon as more information kind of trickles through and uh, this off season finally begins in earnest. But uh, until then we do have three more games to conclude, uh, but want to thank everyone for their support. And we'll talk to you next time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Roar Podcast. It's your friend John Ellis here for Prize Picks. It's the most fun you'll have winning up to 25 times your money this football season. Testing your skills on Prize Picks this football season is the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. If you got the skills, you can turn 10 bucks into $250 with just a few taps. Really simple to play, folks. I make my picks, submit them in less than 60 seconds. You can do it faster, I'm sure. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, enormous selection of players and stat types are what make Price Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. It's at your fingertips. Go to the App Store and download Price Picks today. You can also go to pricepicks.com slash roar and use our promo code roar for a first deposit match up to $100. Daily fantasy sports made easy with our friends at Price Picks. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. 
Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com